Good morning. Happy Resurrection Sunday to all of you. There's an old tradition in churches on uh, Resurrection Sunday where the pastor will say, He is risen. The congregation will respond, He is risen indeed. And so we're going to do that this morning. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. I'm so, so glad that you're here this morning. You know, we, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus really. Every Sunday we get together, and that's why we gather, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But today's special. Today, today is kind of like the anniversary, the 2000 and whatever anniversary of the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And I am so glad that you are here this morning to celebrate it together. I'm not going to assume that I know what you believe about Jesus. I'm not going to assume that I know what you believe about the resurrection. What I want to do this morning is show you something that I am hoping, that I am praying, that once you see it, you cannot unsee it. You've heard that phrase, right? Once you see something, you can't unsee it. Kind of like when you see your daughter kiss a boy for the first time. You can't unsee that. It just sticks with you. What the Roman guards saw and heard at the tomb the morning of the resurrection of Jesus could not be unseen. They couldn't unsee what they saw. They may have wished they never felt the ground shake. They, they may have wished they never saw the angel roll the tomb away and, and use it as a bench. But they did see it. And it scared them to death. Would you join me in Matthew chapter 27? Matthew chapter 27. We're going to jump into the resurrection story in verse 62 of Matthew 27, if you are following along with the digital notes, all those verses are there for you. Just go to gracefellowship.online, hit the notes page, easy to follow along. Matthew 27, verse 62, the next day on the Sabbath, the leading priests and the Pharisees went to see Pilate. So this is after the, after the death of Jesus, after his burial. These religious leaders, these Pharisees, they went to see Pilate and they, they told him, Sir, we, we remember what that deceiver, who are they talking about? They're talking about Jesus. That deceiver once said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise from the dead. And so we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. Now, like in the video, this wasn't them putting uh, caulking around the, the stone. That's not what this is. This is the Roman seal with the Roman authority. And they want guards there. They, they want it to be guarded this will prevent the disciples from coming and stealing his body and, and telling everyone he was raised from the dead. If, if that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at first. Or they're not shy about explaining their motives there, are they? Pilate replied, take, take guards, secure as best you can. I think he's done with this whole thing. 
He just wants to move on from it. And so they sealed the tomb, and they posted guards to protect it. Early Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, breaking the seal, and he sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. They were scared to death. The angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, look, come see where his body was lying. And now go quickly, tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. And you will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy as they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them, and and they ran to him, grasped his feet, and and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go, Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. As the women were on their way, some of the guards. This is like a meanwhile. So you have this scene with the women and with Jesus and on their way to the disciples. And while that's happening, there's this other scene going on with the guards. They went into the city and they told the leading priests what had happened. A meeting with the elders was called and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say, here's the story, here's the official narrative Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping, and they stole his body. That's the official story. If the governor hears about it, because they all know what the consequence for them falling asleep, for them uh, losing the body, they they understand what's at stake here. If that reaches uh, to Pilate, if that reaches to the right uh, person in authority, they're all dead. And so these religious leaders, these elders, these, these chief priests, these, don't worry about it, we got you covered. We've got plenty of money to spread around. Don't worry about it, we got your back. The governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so you won't get in trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and, and said what they were told to say. And their story spread widely among the Jews, it's still, and they still tell it today. I want you to try to imagine the soldier's situation. The assignment was to guard a tomb. That is not a difficult assignment, guarding a tomb, a dead person. It should not have been a difficult assignment. And not only is it a dead person inside this tomb, you've got 16 professional soldiers assigned to this task. You've got 16 guys that can spread out and cover the area. You, you, you can take shifts if, if you do need to uh, get some sleep because you've got uh, multiple days to cover. 
there's not going to be a time when there's not several of them awake. These guys know what they're doing. You've got the Roman seal on the stone matching up to the tomb so that it can't be tampered with. And think about who they were guarding the tomb from. What are, what are, the, what are the chief priests, what, what are they worried about? Who, who's, who are they worried about coming to, to steal this body? Obviously, it's a team of uh, Navy SEALs and Black Hawk helicopters that they're worried about, right? Maybe, maybe it's this elite team of uh, grave robbers, and they've got all of these superior weapons, and they've got tunneling equipment. No. You know who they were worried about? They were worried about a small group of mostly fishermen. They were worried about a small group of women armed with essential oils. Can you imagine? That's who they're worried about. This was an easy gig until it wasn't. If you can, imagine imagine the earthquake, imagine the angel, imagine the empty tomb, all of it. Just imagine all of it in real time. It scared them to death. What, what, what would you do in a situation like that? What would be your, what would be your options? Because what's at stake is not just them losing their job. Like if you don't do your job and you really mess up, yeah, maybe you get fired. But that's not what's at stake here. What's at stake is they could lose their lives. What do you do in a situation like that? Well, they try to go into damage control and, and, and they go to the people in authority, explain what had happened. And just like modern politics today, what happened? Well, the cover-up began with bribes and lies, managing the narrative, manipulating the public, protect the powerful at all costs. It's not a new thing. I read that story with you, and I would imagine that most of us, as we imagine it, we see the chief priests, we see the political elites as the bad guys in the story. That's not hard to see. And I also imagine that most of us understand why the soldiers did what they did. Why these soldiers were, were willing to take the money in exchange for their lives. I get it. Did they do the right thing? No, they didn't do the right thing. But when your life is at stake, I, I understand where that tension would come from. What would motivate them to take the bribe in exchange for their lives? I wonder, though, if they would have been willing to die for that lie. See, they could not unsee what they saw. They saw it. They knew what really happened. I wonder what would have happened if, if Pilate, let's imagine together, let's imagine that Pilate heard what happened. All right, wind got back to... To him, the story gets back to him what had happened. The body's gone. There's rumors that Jesus is alive. And imagine in that moment when he hears that, that maybe uh, he, he looks back over the day's events and he, he, he didn't want to put Jesus to death. He did that 
uh, because of the political pressure. He knew that he was innocent. And now, is it possible? Is it possible that he's alive? And let's just imagine that, that he believed, that he repented, and, and now he puts on this full investigation to find out what really happened on Resurrection Sunday. And he brings the 16 soldiers in, and he in, in investigates and has them question, under penalty of death, tell us the truth, what happened? I wonder if maybe just one, one of them would have broke and told the truth under penalty of death. Do you think all 16 of them in a situation like that would stick to the lie? Probably not. None of that happens, so we'll never know for sure. But I want you to see the contrast this morning. I want you to see it. The contrast between the Roman soldiers who were absolutely willing to participate in the lie and the contrast between them and the apostles. The apostles, the witnesses to the resurrection, were willing to die for the truth. We know that the apostles and other witnesses to the resurrection. What did they do after Jesus ascended to heaven and, he, and Jesus gave them uh, their mission? Go make disciples of all nations and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you and baptize them, right? He gave them this, this great mission and that's what they did. They began to go all over the known world sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. They, they traveled all over the world to share the truth about the miracles that they witnessed, that they saw Jesus do. They went all over the world telling people about his death on the cross as a sacrificial payment for your sin, for my sin. About his resurrection from the dead three days later, proving his victory over sin, proving his victory over death. They went all over the, the known world telling people that Jesus is God. Jesus is alive. Jesus is the only one who can make us right with God. And through faith in Him alone, we, our sins can be forgiven and, and, and we can be made right with God. We can have eternal life. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us and transforms us. This message of the gospel, they took all over the world. And before you hear that and say to yourself, oh, that's nice. That's nice. Understand what it cost them. These guys were willing, every one of them willing to be beaten, imprisoned, and executed to share that story of the gospel. That's what it cost them. How likely is it that they would be willing to die to protect something that they knew to be a lie, doesn't make sense. That's what the skeptics say about the, the resurrection. It started uh, with the bribe. It started with the false narrative. But that lie's been repeated, and even today you have skeptics that say, oh, no, no, it's, this is a made-up thing. The apostles, they stole his body. Uh, they, I don't know, did they overpower the guards? Did they... Uh, use some tear gas, and I, well, I don't know what they did, but somehow they were able to get the body and you know trick people into thinking the resurrection was was true. 
Does it make any sense that someone would be willing to be put in jail, stoned, beaten, executed for something that they know to be a lie? What would motivate someone to do that? Now, in, in all honesty, those things do happen to a point. Let's imagine uh, in, in today's world, uh, let's say in the world of, of, of gangs, and someone would be willing to tell a lie, no, keep their mouth shut, not talk about what really happened, I did it, take the blame, go to jail. Why? What would motivate them to do that? Well, because if they tell the truth, maybe they would get killed by the gang. Maybe their family would get killed by the gang. And so they're willing to participate in the lie in order to stay alive. That happens. Or maybe uh, money. Sometimes there's a, a motive of money. Hey, keep your mouth shut. Do your time. Take the fall for the, what happened, and we'll make sure you're taken care of. We'll make sure your family's taken care of. Those things happen. So fear can motivate people. Money can motivate people. I don't know how many would be willing to go all the way to dying over a lie, but certainly there have been people willing to go to jail or, or get beat up. But let's think about the apostles. What was their motive? What, what would have been their motive to lie? Were they getting paid by the government, bribes to, to continue this narrative about the resurrection? Were they getting rich over this story of Jesus coming back from the dead? No, in fact, it was the exact opposite. They weren't getting rich over this story of the resurrection. Well, how, about, how about fear of, of being beaten and put in prison and executed for continuing the story of the resurrection? No, it was the opposite. In fact, they were told... On many occasions, stop talking about Jesus or there's going to be problems. Stop talking about Jesus or we're going to beat you. We're going to put you in prison. We're going to kill you. It was the opposite. Maybe they were getting you know, these really sweet uh, government positions of authority and, 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 and power to continue this narrative about the resurrection. Just keep the story going. Nope. There was no upside. No upside to sticking with the resurrection story except that it was true. They were eyewitnesses and they could not unsee what they had seen. They were unwilling to deny what they knew to be true and, and willing to accept the consequences of what that meant for them. And we don't know what happened with those, those soldiers, those 16 soldiers later in life. Is it possible that maybe later in life the reality of that morning of the resurrection you know, eventually got to them? Maybe at some point in their lives brought them to a place of faith in Jesus. Is it possible? It's possible. We know that there was a Roman soldier at the foot of the cross that when seeing everything that had happened... Uh, it's recorded in the gospel that, that he confessed, surely this is the Son of God. So it's possible. We don't know. Here's what we do know. We do know from, from historians and from church tradition that's been recorded, we do know what happened to the apostles. Peter was crucified upside down. 
The Apostle Paul was beheaded. Andrew was crucified. Thomas was run through with spears. Philip was stoned to death. In fact, last year around this time, I had the honor of standing. When I went to Turkey, I I stood in the place where he died. I saw his tomb. Matthew was stabbed. James was stoned and then clubbed to death. There's not agreement over how Bartholomew Bartholomew and, and Simon, how they were martyred. There's some differing accounts on that. But they were martyred. Matthias was burned to death. John, the Apostle John, was uh, exiled to Patmos, as you might know, and died of natural causes. And you might think, oh, that's, that's good. Good for him, you know. One out of twelve is not bad. But according to uh, some historical accounts, John, they tr- the government tried to kill him. They exiled him because when they tried to burn him with oil and kill him, it didn't work, that God delivered him. And so that's why they exiled him. And then he, he did die of natural causes. You know, burning with oil doesn't sound like a lot of fun to me either, even if you do survive. We're talking about all of them. You're, you're telling me not one of them broke? They were all willing to die for what? You're saying to protect a lie. Or is it more likely that they were willing to die because they were unwilling to deny the truth? They couldn't unsee what they saw. And so that, I think, comes to you and to me with the question, what do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is dead or alive? Do you believe that the resurrection of Jesus is is true or a lie? It's a really important question. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, if you want to look at that with me, he, he tells us what's at stake over this question. What do you believe about the resurrection of Jesus. What's at stake here? If the resurrection is true or false, does it really matter? And Paul said, oh, it matters. It matters a lot. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news, the gospel that I preached to you before. You welcomed it then. You stand firm in it now. It is the good news that saves you if You continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, listen to this, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. So the question is, is the resurrection true or is it not true? Is Jesus dead or alive? I passed on to you, verse 3 I passed on to you what was most important, what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins. So here's the gospel. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scriptures said. He was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scriptures said. He was seen by Peter. Now we're going to go through a list of eyewitnesses. Peter, and then the twelve. After that, listen to this, seen by more than... 500 of his followers at one time. 
And he says, some of them are even still alive. If you want to go and ask them, you want to go investigate, go for it. Then he was seen by James, later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. And that story is recorded in the book of Acts when when Jesus, the, the resurrected Savior, appeared to Paul. Go down to verse 12. So he, he's, he's reaffirming, re, he's retelling the story of the gospel, the story of the resurrection. And then he asks this question again, is it true and does it matter if it's true? Verse 12, but tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead... That's our message, right? That's, that's what we're talking about this morning. That's why we got up early. That's why uh, we're here to celebrate the resurrection. This is what we preach. Jesus is alive. Why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. That's sound logic. That, that follows. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. Ah, see, this is what's at stake. If Christ has not raised from the dead. We are absolutely wasting our time this morning. We might as well go eat Cadbury eggs and throw marshmallow peeps at each other. That'd be a better use of our time. In fact, he says in verse 15... If that's true, that Christ has not been raised from the dead, we apostles have been lying to you about God as well. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. We have said that we are witnesses to Jesus being alive. But if that can't be true if there's no resurrection from the dead. And if there's no resurrection from the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. And here's what's at stake. You, me, we're still guilty in our sins. We are without hope. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ, they're still lost. If our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. I love verse 20. But, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first of the great harvest of all who have died. See, the resurrection, as Paul describes it here, is this breaking point. It is this breaking point between eternal salvation with God or eternal separation from God. The resurrection is the breaking point of those two fates in our eternity. And so we need to consider carefully what we believe about Jesus. And I'll say... To those of you who may be in the room or listening by live stream this morning, if you are far from God and you know it, but you don't want to be anymore, we have been praying for you. We have been praying that this will be the day, that this will be the moment that you will repent of your sin, that you will admit to God that you are a sinner and you know you have no hope of saving yourself. No hope of making yourself right with God. You can't save yourself from the punishment that you know your sin deserves. Just admit that to God. And then put all of your faith in 
Jesus, all of your faith in the work that Jesus did for you, for me, on the cross as a substitute payment to God for our sin. Faith in the power of his resurrection to not only have victory over that sin, but victory over death itself with the authority to give us eternal life. The authority to give us the Holy Spirit. This idea of the seal on the tomb is used in the New Testament. This image of the seal is used to describe the Holy Spirit as a seal of ownership. God's ownership on our soul when we trust Jesus. That the Holy Spirit is this deposit inside of us guaranteeing our salvation. For those of us who would say, yeah, that's what I believe. I, I, I believe Jesus rose from the dead. Could I ask you to consider the fact that the Roman soldiers there on Resurrection Sunday could say the exact same thing? Couldn't unsee what they saw. And yet they were absolutely willing to live a lie. They could not unsee what they saw, but money and the fear of being on the wrong side of those with power, that was enough. It was enough to motivate them to participate in the lie. Listen to this from James chapter 2. James talks about faith and, and how we live our lives and this, this tension between the two. And, and there were some people that uh, didn't see a connection between what we say we believe and how we actually live. And James pushed back on that idea and said, no, no, that's not how it works. James says, yeah, there's absolutely a connection between what we say we believe and how we live our lives. In James chapter 2, look at verse 18. Some may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? How, how can you say you're a person of faith if you don't live what you say you believe? That's the question he's asking. I'll show you my faith by my good deeds. I'll prove to you that I have faith in Jesus by surrendering my life to him and living out what I claim that I believe. And then he goes on to say this. This is powerful. You say you have faith because you believe there's one God. And I love this phrase. He says, good for you. You believe that God exists. Good for you. Good for you. Even the demons believe that. And they tremble. They shudder in fear. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless, that claiming that you have faith, that you believe that God exists, claiming that you believe the, the resurrection of Jesus is true, and your life is not transformed by that belief, he's saying, no, 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 that's, that's, not, that's not real faith. If you believe it, your life is transformed by it. 
I want to take a moment and just allow ourselves to ask the question, why, why am I here? Why are we here? What does the resurrection of Jesus have to do with my Monday morning? What does the resurrection of Jesus have to do with our everyday lives? How, how is the story of Jesus defeating death? Helpful to, to you and I dealing with the stress at work, the struggles that we may have in our relationships, the tensions we feel when we're paying our bills and it's not quite enough, the sorrow that burdens our hearts. Is it possible that you don't see the connection? Is it possible that you are here today because this is a family tradition. You don't have a problem with the story. The story's fine. You believe the stories of Jesus are true, no problem. But you maybe don't see this connection between how the resurrection of Jesus is supposed to impact your everyday life. And so what I'm hoping, what I'm praying is that this morning that you will clearly see the difference between the Roman soldiers and the apostles. I'm hoping that once you see it, you can't unsee it. Because they both knew the same set of facts. But for the apostles, the resurrection of Jesus was a life-changing truth. It wasn't just this knowledge of a set of facts. For them, the truth of Jesus defeating sin and death, it meant that Jesus is their only means of salvation. It meant that he was worth surrendering their lives to, that he was worthy of being the king of their hearts. You know, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is, is, a, is a powerful passage about salvation, talking about God's gift of grace. We are saved by God's gift of grace. It's not by works. It's not by uh, the good things that we do. We can't earn our salvation. We don't deserve our salvation. It's only God's gift of grace that we receive through faith in Jesus, the work that Jesus did for us on the cross and the power of his resurrection. But then verse 10 goes on in the same thought. There's not a break in the paragraph. It's the same thought where where Paul says, we are God's workmanship. We were created by God to do good works. Works don't save us. We don't earn our salvation. That's God's gift through faith in Jesus. But God does expect us to live what we say we believe. To be changed, to be transformed. God's gift of grace, yes, is not something that, that we earn. You think about all the things that salvation means for us. You talk about the, the everyday impact of the resurrection on your life and on my life. When we trust in Jesus as our Savior and the Holy Spirit becomes this seal on our souls, He also becomes our helper, our comforter, our guide, the one who gives us victory over sin, the one that helps us deal with stress and sorrow, the, the one who, who heals our hurts. All of that spiritual strength comes from the Holy Spirit 
that Jesus gives to those who trust in Him as their Savior, as their King. We don't earn that. We don't deserve that. That's God's gift through faith in Jesus. But you can't read through the New Testament. It's not just James that points it out. The Apostle Paul points it out. Peter points it out. All through the New Testament that God does expect us to live a life of gratitude. A life that pleases Him. Our our lives should be like this one long, continuous thank you card. Thank you cards aren't hard, are they? Maybe you get a gift from someone, your birthday. Maybe you get an Easter basket. Someone gave me some marshmallow peeps this morning. I'll probably write a thank you card. It's not hard. It doesn't cost a lot. It doesn't take a lot of effort to write a thank you card, does it? What, though, if the thank you card of our lives does cost us something. Can I be honest? It, it's easy to say, I believe in Jesus. Good for you. I, I believe the stories of Jesus are true. Good for you. But what if Jesus challenges you and I to change our behavior? What if Jesus challenges you and I to change our attitude? What if Jesus challenges you and I to join him in his mission to share the gospel? Which sometimes can be uncomfortable. Maybe you'll get made fun of. Maybe you'll get pushed out of the group. If people see you living what you say you believe and and sharing your story of who you are in Jesus, it might cost you something. I wonder if we are prepared. You you think about the apostles willing to be pushed out of society, out of the culture, lose friends, willing to be beaten, arrested, willing to be killed. It costs them something. Are we prepared to stand firm in the truth even if it costs us something? Are we prepared to say, you know what? No, I am not going to participate in the lie. I'm not going to do it. Our culture can tell lies about gender. It can tell lies about the, uh, the unborn life inside of a mother's womb. It can, it can tell lies about what love is. I'm not going to participate. And that might cost me. The Roman soldiers didn't want to lose their jobs. The Roman soldiers didn't want to lose their freedom. The Roman soldiers didn't want to lose their lives. And so they were willing to participate in the lie. But the apostles, the apostles were willing to die for the truth. They were willing to surrender their whole lives to Jesus because they believed the resurrection impacted their lives, their souls. They believed that Jesus was alive and that he was worthy to be the king of their hearts. They both saw the same thing. 
They couldn't unsee what they saw. The difference was what they believed the resurrection meant for them. That's the difference. And so we're left with this question. What do, what do you, what do I, what do we really believe about what the resurrection of Jesus means for us? See, if, if, if it's just a set of facts that we're willing to agree to, and we're not willing to surrender our hearts, we're not willing to surrender our lives to Jesus, we're not willing to let him be the king of our hearts, if we are not willing to say no to those who want us to participate in the devil's lies, then how can we say that we are any different than the devil, than the demons, than the soldiers that said, yeah, we saw it too, but we don't care. If we say we believe Jesus rose from the dead and and we understand what the resurrection really means for us, well, what it means is that we believe that the grave could not hold Jesus. And if the grave could not hold Jesus, then the nails could not have held Jesus to the cross. Jesus chose to endure the pain of the cross. It was his love for you, it was his love for me that held him to the cross. And once we see that, we can't unsee it. How can we walk through life knowing this, seeing what Jesus did for us, and then walk through life like we never saw it? How can we know what Jesus did and how he suffered for us and then not live our lives in gratitude? This morning, hopefully you received a thank you card when you came in. And if you didn't, I have some extra ones up here. There's some pens there if that's helpful to you. And and here's the challenge. I just want to challenge you to write a thank you card to Jesus. And here's what I... Don't do this, all right? This is not a... Thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins. and ra- Don't do something generic. Write an expression of worship. Write an expression of gratitude to Jesus. Something along the lines of, thank you for what you did for me and help me to live my life in gratitude. Help me, help me to have the courage to say no to the lies in my culture. Help me to have courage to share the gospel with my family and with my friends. In an expression of gratitude, help me to live what I say. I believe thank you for what you did for me. Well, that's very different than, thanks for dying for my sins, Jesus. started with the traditional expression. We're going to end with it. He is risen. What does the resurrection really mean to you? We're going to, I'm going to pray. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this, this privilege, this opportunity we've had to be together. Lord, I do, I'm asking for my own heart and those gathered in this place that today isn't just a family tradition, that today really is a time for us to reflect and to celebrate on what the resurrection of Jesus actually means for our everyday lives. And if there is someone 
here today that has been far from God but doesn't want to be any longer, that wants to take that step of faith towards you today, I pray that their heart would be soft and open to your Spirit's leading and, and today would be that day of salvation, of that, that decision of faith to trust you, Lord, as their forgiver, as their Savior, as the King of their hearts. And for those of us who have made that decision, Lord, I pray that, that we would be fully surrendered, that we would be fully surrendered to the point where our lives look like one long, continuous thank you card, a life of gratitude for all that you've done for us. Help us to live in that gratitude every day. And I pray it in Jesus' name.